0: listener friends. Uh, I come to you today from a closet in an apartment in San Francisco where I am teaching a California College of the Arts MFA in Comics program. I'm in a closet because people are screaming in the streets because it's San Francisco and it's coming through the window and it's bugging me a lot because I'm trying to record a memorial for somebody who I really respected. This week, the world lost Jean-Viev castre Alvram she was a cartoonist and musician, she was 34 years old, and she passed away of pancreatic cancer. She left behind a husband, Phil Alvram, and a small daughter, and jean Viev was one of my very, very favorite artists. I was almost obsessed with her art. Let's go ahead and say I am obsessed with her art. I love it so much, and I had looked forward to drawing with her someday in Anacortes, but that day did not come. And she had a lot more to do in the world, and I don't know what else to say. It's a huge loss. Please look her up. Um, you can find jean Vieve's graphic memoir, Susceptible, through drawn and quarterly. You can also find her beautiful full-color comics through them. I recommend a comic she did called Blankets, not the Greg Thompson one. Um, there is an excerpt of it somewhere affiliated with the New York Times, and you can download it and look at her beautiful full-color illustrations. Rest in power, rest in peace. Goodbye. Sagittarian matters. Sagittarian matters. What's the
1: matter with you? Sagittarian
0: matters. Today on Sagittarian Matters, a conversation with cartoonist Eleanor Davis about BDSM, beards, bike trips, and more. But first, a review of Superfood Berries with Morgan Grenstein Helby. Stay tuned.
1: Nicole. And I'm Morgan. Today we're going to review superfoods. Superfruits. What's the first one? Okay, we've got mulberries, the Turkish superfruit. Nicole says they look like um, cereal clusters. I think they look like tiny pine cones or bugs. (laughs) They do look like, they look like those bugs from, or that
0: water bug from the Washougal River that makes (laughs) a shell out of little tiny rocks. That's how it happens? It, it uses its saliva as cement. Oh, and it looks just like these m- berries. I already knew they were weird. Good berry tastes good to me. This is great. Raw mulberry? Sweet. Can I have these? Yeah. I would eat these the same way I eat prunes or raisins just for
1: fun on a Friday night. You know who else loves them? Silkworms. <laughs> <laughs> so, silkworms have been eating them for thousands of years. And they have great bodies. They, <laughs> They're great anti- they seem anti-inflammatory, yep. antioxidants, no toxins. A- yeah, they live forever. Mm-hmm. They're really hard workers. Um, Yeah, I love these. Okay, next berry. Next, I'm sorry, super fruit. is a golden berry. The Andean superfruit.
0: Well, shockingly, this is a less golden color than the mulberry. <laughs> Good
1: point. Because the mulberry
0: Noted. is kind of a khaki color, mm-hmm. and this looks like uh, an orange, orangey
1: rust raisin. Uh huh. So they're also known as gooseberries. You might have heard mm-hmm. of them. Incan berries. Woo! Tart tart. I like it. Whoa! I like them. They taste like um. Oh my god! It's <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! It is like the most sour gummies ever. (laughs) Under what circumstance would this be appropriate? Combined. Oh, don't worry. There's vitamin P. Tons of vitamin P in here. Let me read you. Oh, they don't have how many um, percentage of your daily allowances (laughs) of vitamin P. These include, but I'm pretty sure it's a lot.
0: That sounds like the Simpsons episode. I can taste that. Where they give them milk. Instead
1: of milk, and it's like now with vitamin R or something. Well, what... we've got vitamin P. Um, suggested uses trail mix or on top of salads. Oh, I could see it on top of a salad. Do create jams and sauces. That's a good suggestion. If
0: this was a jam, my face would invert and never <laughs> stop puckering. I'm
1: pretty sure you already look like that. I
0: already look like the Kermit the Frog puppet <laughs> when he's upset. Oh,
1: <laughs> swallowing your own lips. Okay, so you have one more. Uh, Yeah. These you've probably heard of. What is it? Goji. What's good about a goji berries? Oops. Let me read you something. These are Himalayan. We're really covering the world today, right? Do silkworms eat it? Because that's the only know. way that I'll eat it. Mmm. No, but it is one of the most nutrient-rich foods on earth. Come Vegetarian on. form
0: of protein. That's stupid. That's not real.
1: And uh, they have 28 trace minerals and vitamins. What doesn't? You can also put them in all the same places, but don't make jam out of them. I, I
0: don't mean to be such a hater, but... These are fine. They're great. They're
1: great. Whatever. These are great. They're sticking to my teeth in a way I like. <laughs> Watch those teeth, Georges. You just got to fixed. I don't know. Uh, these are really cute. They're red and small. Um, um, shrivel Do you have a taste of it? It's almost like the joy of eating a dehydrated fruit.
0: Like a dehydrated mango mm-hmm. from Trader Joe's. Yeah. And then it sticks to your oh. teeth in an astronaut ice cream way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, the goji berry is good for that, and now I understand why people like it. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I would eat this instead of protein, though. Well. I don't think that Sherpas do. They have
1: four grams per ounce. Per, per ounce? How
0: many ounces is this good? Eight. Oh my mm, god. That's um, more than chickpeas. There you go. Hummus has surprisingly little protein, but people are always like, get your protein. Hey,
1: hey, vegans, I brought you some... Uh, hey, 19 have eight. you ever heard of hummus? Have you ever heard of hummus? Have you ever tried having a mushroom on a bun instead of a burger? I mean, it's like you would never know. This isn't me. Wait, <laughs> no, wait. What? I've this, heard of a mushroom. This saturated gray and brown bun <laughs> underneath the broiled this, portobello mushroom. <laughs> this is not a normal hamburger. It's a, yeah, this um, fully sogged bun <laughs> with a jiggly, wiggly, like leaking <laughs> black gilled mushroom. Oh, it's exactly like me. You'll be just so sad, bun. <laughs> Have you ever heard of mushroom?
0: I got a portobello mushroom the other day, and I felt so retro. <laughs> like, I just bought a giant portobello mushroom, and yeah. I'm like, what do I even do with this? Like, the taste of it brings me back to the 90s.
1: Well, you want what you want to do? Um, cover it in sun uh, sundried tomato. <laughs> <laughs> That's also very 90s. Oh, my God. I just expanded this golden berry. That's as big as a hat. It's a small hat. <laughs> it's a small hat for a tiny little gnome. Oh, my God. They just got cute. They just got really cute.
0: Okay, so a golden berry. A really tart. If you're looking for something to do with it, besides eat it.
1: But you know what? I would say stick with the silkworms. They know what's up. With the mulberry? Yeah, go with the mulberry. Go with the goji. I'm going to say goji, then mulberry, then golden. Yeah, I think golden is going to be like a nice tart jam. Can you
0: imagine giving this bag of berries to a child and just watching them cry? <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's so, t- so tart. And And they're really really it's almost abusive how tart they are they do not look appealing at all like no child would be like brown mm, <laughs> leathery seed-filled shriveled <laughs> disc oh you know what it i looks, can't wait to eat more looks like a prune but not quite as tasty they're not as cute as raisins and raisins are not that cute mm. so i mean it's a cute hat it's a nice hat but <laughs> thanks morgan
0: Eleanor Davis draws beautiful comics. If you haven't seen it, she did a full-color hardcover book for Drawn and Quarterly called How to Be Happy that is full of vignettes of many different kinds of people all trying to be happy. It's beautiful, especially if you like books about depression but that also feel uplifting and that also investigate the human condition. I really, really liked it. That was one of my intros to her work besides seeing her places like Best American Comics. Um, I wanted to interview Eleanor after reading a short story she did called BDSM that was published by Frontier. BDSM is, I think, 32 pages, and it is about two women falling in love on a porn set during an SM scene. It shows how vulnerable, voluntary, and romantic SM can really be. There are a few things about Eleanor Davis that I found really interesting, aside from the obvious. One of those things is that she took a year off from being a professional artist. You know, she went to school for art, she won some awards, did some great books, including a 150-page young adult book called The Secret Science Alliance. Um, It was fully illustrated and it was really tight and dense and elaborate. With that tight style, she left comics, left making books for a year, um, got another kind of job, and the only time she drew was for fun. And through drawing for fun and re-centering herself, she emerged from that hiatus with a totally new style that was full color and very loose and kind of geometric and very free. And it's the beautiful signature style that I'm attracted to today. I thought that was really interesting. Another thing is she likes to be standing up and also she just took herself on a really long bike trip across America where she was by herself, she was sleeping outside, she was meeting strangers, she had a knee injury that almost ended too soon, and she cataloged all of this in a travel diary that she published on her Twitter and on Instagram. If you want to find Eleanor Davis, you can look up her books, or you can find her on Twitter as Elo, S-Q-U-I-N-K-Y-E-L-O, or on Instagram. Anyway, please enjoy my talk with Eleanor Davis. First thing I need to tell you is that when I was a kid, I used to draw dogs all the time, and I always had a dog character named Frito. You're kidding me! No.
2: Oh, that makes me very happy.
0: <laughs> I felt like that was like the perfect name for a dog.
2: <laughs> yeah, I thought so. That was I was I was not. I've been struggling that, with that story for a while, and I wasn't sure it changed a lot. Uh, I rewrote it and rewrote it and rewrote it. Um, But the dog, there being a dog in it named Frito was so important (laughs) to me that I was like, I can't give up on this story. I kept thinking about uh, scrapping it and being like, no, I have to, I have to have Frito. Frito must exist.
0: I know. It's almost like you would be making Frito homeless or like killing Frito. I know, right? I
2: know. (laughs) That would be terrible. Just as if he had never
0: been. He's like, I just want to be born. Um. Oh, you
2: yeah. I'll finish it up. Get that Frito into the world. Get Frito into How the world. i makes me very happy about Frito. I, yeah, Your, I would. Your childhood
0: Frito. I would draw these dogs on two legs that were wearing clothes. I think that Frito was maybe like a teenager dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: good. Like a, so are you, are you, I'm 33.
0: I'm 35. Uh, you're 30-what? 30
2: 35. Yeah, that sounds like it'd be similar. That sounds like a very good 80s, <laughs> like a cool skater teen dog
0: name. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's it's It was like Fritos were very popular then, and it just seemed like, yeah. And then also dogs, you know, their feet sometimes smell like Fritos. It just makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense. Mm-hmm. I was going to – so I – I mean I like all of your comics. I love all of your comics. The BDSM comic, I was rereading it this morning. I was I was trying to go in like to a deep Eleanor hole to try and like <laughs> be like oh yeah, Well, to be like? What should I ask her about? What do we talk about? Cuz sometimes on the podcast I have people that I know very well. So I could just basically be like laying on the ground and just be like, I don't know, what are you want to talk about? And then it just <laughs> and then it just happens. Um but I was like, "Well, I don't know. You know, I don't know you know you, so I was like, "Well, what what should we talk about?" I should I should look around, um, because it almost seemed like too. I was like, "Is it too personal to talk about the BDSM comic?" Because it's so oh. deep. <laughs> it's yeah, no, go 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 great. for it. Well, I I mean, That's honestly, great. in rereading it, I think it's a perfect short story. Like, oh, it, thank you. You're welcome. Oh, I really. I mean, so I should explain what it is. So it's this issue of Frontier, and it's a comic. It's a standalone comic. It's at 32 pages, and um, it's about these women working on a porn set doing a BDSM scene and then kind of how they interact afterwards. But do you want to talk more about what it's about or what happens? Oh, uh... Or even what? Sure. how it came to you. Yeah, well,
2: it's about, um, it's about two women uh, who are both uh porn actresses, porn actors on a set of uh quality film called Slut Servant Six. Mm-hmm. and uh it's sort of a um you know it's sort of a power play scene. One of the the women is the Dom and the other one's the sub and um almost the the entire almost the entire film crew is male and uh so they kind of shoot a scene, and then there's it's sort of showing, you know, how they interact with one another after the scene, you know, when they're not on camera, how they interact with their the uh, their coworkers, uh, the men who are who are shooting the film, um, and kind of what it means to be, you know. Uh, doing performative, like, dominance and performative submission uh, within a, you know, this very specific, uh, you know, film, film set scenario and then how, how dominance and submission is, is sort of carried off set uh, for these two women. Um, and, and they sort of fall in love. Spoilers. Spoiler alert. <laughs> it's, a, it's a love story. I think, I don't know, it, it's a, it's not necessarily, um, that's not necessarily the, the most, that's just one one reading of it. But I, I think that that's how I like to think of it because they fall in love.
0: Do you do, do you model for your own comics or do you have other people do figure modeling for you or do you look up things or is it all in your head? Uh, do figure models almost, live in your head?
2: Almost entirely in my head. I wish I could say that I modeled for those porn star actresses, but I did not, uh, I didn't really have anybody modeling. I, I, I think
0: for some of the trickier poses, I looked stuff up. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering because I Yeah, just... there, were some, there were some challenging
2: well, because even... Mostly on, not mostly, I guess.
0: Your head must have, like, a great... Like, you have, like, a great, like, encyclopedia of body... Of the way bodies go. Because even oh. on the cover, I feel like that's a really complicated pose. Where Vic is on top of Lexa, yeah. like, holding her down and...
2: Yeah, I... I Embarrassingly, I, uh... All through art school and then after I graduated, um I've spent years and years and years... uh going to, uh, nude figure drawing, oh. and, uh, so I've gotten really good at drawing naked people. Unfortunately, I'm not very good at drawing just about anything else, <laughs> 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 drawing naked people is, like, my main specialty, because I've practiced it so much, uh, and so it's very, and it's very difficult for me to draw people wearing clothes, oh. um, which is frustrating, so maybe that's one of the reasons why I draw so much, so many comics about sex.
0: When you draw people wearing clothes, do you have to draw them naked first and then draw the clothes on top of them? Yes. That's so yes. interesting. Yeah, I'm just, I'm awful at drawing. Most of the time when I draw people wearing clothes, they're drawing, they're wearing uh, pretty skin tight stuff. Because <laughs> the most I can, the best I can do is just draw a naked person and then draw some lines and be like, it's a t shirt. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's a very tight t shirt. These are bike shorts.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like shorts, T-shirts, skinny jeans. The skinny jeans, you know, those being popular has been very convenient for me.
0: It's really helpful. I have been drawing so many autobiographical comics about growing up in Portland that I feel like everyone's wearing a hoodie all the time. Mm-hmm. And hoodies are really hard to draw. Hoodies are... I, don't, I mean, it just. I, at a certain point, it just looks like someone has like a weird lump on the back of their neck. <laughs> when I'm drawing know, a hoodie, right? like it just looks like like a weird like appendage there. But I just have to trust that people know what it is. Yeah.
2: And yeah. And yeah. No, hoodies, and plus, if you think about hoodies too long, too much, they seem so archaic. You know, like monkish almost. Oh yeah. With the, with hoods on.
0: Well, I've been drawing. I've been drawing from like 2000 when I or in the 2001 when I moved to Portland. And I've been drawing house shows, and every other person's wearing a hoodie. And at some point in the margin, I wrote like, you know, like an asterisk. I was like, was everyone actually all wearing black and wearing hoodies? The answer is <laughs> yes. At this point in time, yes, every person was wearing, like, every person wanted to like, you know, have the opportunity to cover their head if they needed to. Is that less popular now than it used to be? I can't tell. Good question. I don't, I think that I used to hang out with more people that were straight up punks or edged on crusty punks. And so that was almost a requirement. But do you now in Portland, not to be stereotypical, but now do you have a hard time drawing groups of people because everybody has beards? I can't even, I can't even deal with the the beard thing. I don't, (laughs) I, I, I mean, I honestly don't draw. I haven't. Knock on wood, I haven't had the opportunity to draw New Portland, and I don't draw men that often, um, like, in my, like, day-to-day diary comic kind of things, so uh-huh. no. But I think a, a beard would be easy. There's, like, you know, there was a moment a couple years ago where there was a lot of, the like, the old prospector kind of beards happening, uh-huh. where you'd see an uh-huh. otherwise, like, very cute guy... Like, you could tell underneath whatever he had done to himself, he had, like, an okay face. But he had this, like, nasty, big, you know, very long, like, squirrels living mm-hmm. in it beard.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a big, well, speaking of being judgmental, I'm really into beards. <laughs> but I am kind of picky about beards. Uh, I, I prefer the ones that are more round to the ones that are kind of pointy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm I'm racking my brain now thinking about who, whose feelings I've
0: hurt by coming out against pointy (laughs) beards. Yeah, you know, I have to say, one of my best friends has like a giant beard that extends from his face and it's totally, it's fine. I mean, not that it matters, but it's fine with me. It's great with, I accept it. It's just part of his thing, whatever. But I do, yeah, I do like that the beard that's like a little more, a little more near to the face, less of an auxiliary. I'm sure you get this question a lot. So sorry to ask it again, but what advice do you have for young aspiring cartoonists, specifically ones living in less culturally rich places? Oh, gosh,
2: that's a good question. Um, I mean, just be on the internet a lot, I guess. What that's do you kind mean? kind of a dangerous...
0: What? Like where on the internet? Uh, like posting your work or looking I... up work or...
2: Of Twitter, that's where I tend to live. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, you know, I I really like where me and Drew live uh, in Athens, um, Athens, Georgia. Uh, And it's really nice, and we have friends here, and we have, you know, friends with a lot of cartoonists here, but it's definitely not Portland, um, not New York, not LA. And so a lot of my peers I just keep in contact with online, Mm -hmm. and it works out good you know mm-hmm. um, it's kind of a da- bit of a dangerous advice if you're like the kind of person who gets overly attached to the internet or kind of addicted, mm-hmm. or if you've like used it to replace like real life relationships with people I don't recommend that but um, you know a lot of the friends that I have here in Athens aren't artists they're farmers or uh, you know moms or you uh, They make food and work at the co-op. So those are my important, like, real-life friendships. And then uh, my cartoonist friendships, a lot of those are online. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so definitely work as much as you can and post a lot of stuff, as much stuff as you can online. Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. I guess Tumblr's kind of dying, but...
0: um, Oh, thank God Tumblr's dying because I never quite figured it out.
2: I know, yeah. I I feel similarly, but I'm sure it's going to, It's I'm sure it's being replaced by something that's even
0: more confusing. Oh, God. I, I <laughs> honestly think, I was talking the other day to my friend about how we both love the Joan Rivers documentary. I don't know if you saw that, but she, like basically her looking at her calendar and seeing that dates are empty, that she doesn't have work on those days, fills her with fear and anxiety. So no, she man. tries to work, she w- tried to work all the time. All the time, all the time, all the time. And I feel that way, too. And so whenever people ask me, I feel like it's, like, one of those things people are, like, I mean, this is actually a pretty fat, positive podcast. But the idea of people being, like, how do I lose weight? And you're, like, diet and exercise. And they're, like, no, no, what else? But it's kind of, like, when people are, like, how do I become an artist? I'm, like, you just work. You just work. Like, there's not a moment where someone, like, dabs you with a magic wand and says, like, now's the time you're officially an artist. Like, you just do the work all the time and then... Something will happen with it or it won't. Yeah,
2: for sure. I I do think that it's helpful to, if you're having a hard time getting motivated to work on your own, like, it's good to come up with, like, um, uh, outside motivators or whatever. So you can, like, commit to doing a diary comic Mm -hmm. and start putting that online so that people expect it. and So you start feeling obligated to do it. Uh, hopefully not to the point where it gets stressful, but just enough so that you kind of like, you you know, it's, you're not going to be like, oh, well, I, I feel like watching Netflix tonight instead. Um, or see if there's any like local art downtown, uh, you know, if there's people doing murals or, uh, sort of ways you can contribute. I guess that's not cartooning specific, but, um. Yeah, coming up with ways to kind of commit yourself to making artwork, I think, can be really
0: good. Yeah, I've, I've always found that painting myself into a corner a little bit. Like, because I just, like, I, I feel a strong... Like, Huh? Like, by overcommitting? Um, or even just committing. I just feel like a strong... Like, if I've involved somebody else in it, like, if somebody else is waiting for the piece of art... Or somebody else is like, I need this for my show. I need this flyer for my show. Or I need this comic for my anthology. Or I, I expect this diary comic from you because you said you were going to do it in public. Hmm. That kind of thing makes me want to do it because I don't want to let anyone down ever.
2: Okay, good. So it doesn't, that doesn't make it harder? It makes it easier for
0: you? For me, at least at, at first. I mean, currently, it, maybe now that I'm a little bit older, it's the opposite. Like, at a certain point, like, the anxiety scales go the other direction. Um, right, 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 But I know at first, that was how I got things done, was by just saying I was going to do a thing and then telling different people I was going to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then That's being... the
2: way to do, I, I think. It's, it's hard. Right now, I'm uh, I'm kind of having this struggle of, I have enough people asking me to do stuff. It that I don't do my own stuff enough. Oh, I was going to uh, ask but, you, um,
0: how do you choose? Mm-hmm. How do you choose what what to take on?
2: It's really I, I have a really hard time turning people down. Um, so a lot of the time, I'm just really overbooked, and I tend, you know, my my own personal stuff gets shoved away, and I'm, you know, kind of juggling five or six jobs at once, or whatever. Uh, right now, if I have to turn, honestly, like it can get kind of like real kind of grimly, like, you know, or is it a client that's paying good enough? Is it, uh, you know, is it a, a venue that's actually interesting to me? The magazine or the newspaper or whatever. Because mm-hmm. I, I also do, in addition to doing comics, I do um, uh, professional, like, illustration full-time. Um, and that's, that sucks when, it, when that stuff, like the money-making stuff, overtakes the stuff that I do for myself. Because that's, you know, my personal work is what's really important to me, but yeah. being the right is
0: also important. <laughs> I have a friend who, he had a teacher in art school who told him that a project needs to offer either money, time, or freedom. It should have one of those things, if not more than one. And if it didn't have any of those things, then he shouldn't take it. And I... Depending on where I am financially, I don't know if I always take it, but I try to consider that whenever I'm considering a job. I'm like, is this offering me either money or freedom or time?
2: Yes. There, um, I, I have a thing listed up on my wall made by Wendy McNaughton, mm-hmm. uh, who's an awesome illustrator, and it just says, should I take the job? And the four things that... Uh, the four things that she thinks you should be thinking about are money, passion, publicity, and people. Mm.
0: Um,
2: that's kind of like a similar, a similar sort of set of things as you're saying. And you rate them like one to four, and then she has like an algorithm for, for when to say yes and when to say no. What
0: are the, what does the like people part mean? The, oh, sorry.
2: The people part, I guess, means like if you like working with those. Well, I don't know actually. I when I what I think of it is, it's like if there is an art director that asks me to do the thing, and I like them personally, or if I think that they're like, you know, a cool, a cool art director who might be doing cool projects in the future, uh, I'd be more
0: likely to take the job um, if they think they're, you know, just interesting.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so. So that's kind of a good thing to remember because even if, even it, even if like it pays so much money, it uh, gets full like you know, uh, full score, hundred percent in the money column. If it doesn't have anything in the passion or publicity or the people columns, you're still like not supposed to take the job. Wow. Uh, so that's. That's been an important thing for me to, to use to, like, work out to turn stuff down.
0: I think it's really valuable to have something concrete like that because there's a lot of times where it seems ambiguous, where, you know, something feels kind of right but not quite right, but you're not sure. And having yeah, exactly. something, you could just stare at it and be like, okay.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm such a perfect pleaser. And, like, I'm still so, like, I mean, just as somebody's like, hey, we like what you do. I, my automatic response is to be like, oh, "You like what you what I do? You're so nice. I'll do anything for you. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the word, I'll do whatever."
0: I I had a weird, you know, I was doing pep, I was doing pet portraits for a long time, and I got into this weird quagmire where, as I got better as a painter, it my paintings would take longer. And then also as I got more busy with comics, I have less time to draw mm-hmm. and it gives me so much anxiety to draw people's pets for them oh. because they, cause yeah. I mean, if, if they were just like, here's a picture, I'm never going to, I'm just going to send you this picture and a check and never talk to you again. That's fine. But when people have like a lot of tweaks or they get a little control freaky about it or, you know, whatever, no, sure. um, it stresses me out. But so at a certain point. I just realized, like, I would have to charge so much for Pet Portraits to be worth it for me that I feel like I've priced out the people that I that are in my direct community.
2: Yeah, and that you care about. You know, I care. And then you're, about. Only, you're only making art for, like, I don't know, uber rich people. And that seems like a bummer.
0: Yeah, so at the moment, I kind of just put Pet Portraits on hold. Well, because I'm finishing a book, too, so adding that extra well, stress. But congratulations. Thanks. But, um, yeah, I don't. I feel like I don't even know... I don't even know how to even ask for the amount of money it would take for that because I'm just like I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So I know, right? But I thought because when people write and they're like, "Oh, I like your art," and like my dog just died, and then I have the the people pleaser yeah. thing where I want to like drop everything I do, I'm doing and just be like, "I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it, I love yeah. dogs,"
1: but I just, oh, no. but I just can't. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's really it,
2: that's that's one of the reasons why I like um like printmaking. Mm-hmm. So much, I haven't done any for a long time, but it really, uh,
0: it's bothersome how expensive the original artwork has to be in order to make it, like, you're either, like, fucking yourself over by working too cheap, mm-hmm.
2: or you're really, like, charging so much that it's hard to feel good about it.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I always, I feel like, like, wouldn't it be great, like, maybe there's, like, some people that just can not afford it and it feels good to them and they can buy a few things for a lot of money, and then maybe you can take that money and then make like a run of prints for, I don't know. I always am trying to think of how to do both. Somebody just sent me this today. She's been doing comics in like zine mini forms for a long time. So that's the backstory. And she just read my book, which is a long linear story. She said, how to get the story out and onto paper. I don't have a big story. Or if there's tough things, I don't wish to revisit them in my comics, like mostly being teased at school or picked on. I don't have a big story, and I feel like I'm not sure where I fit in in comics. I want to create a long story like you've done, but it's just not there. Does that make sense? How does a story come about? I know it doesn't always have to be about my life. I've made up short zines, but I'm looking for the next level, and I'm not sure where to turn. I feel like I don't fit into a group. I feel like I'm often told my work is too cute when I pitch it. I'm not edgy. I don't shock people with my work. I feel like it's good, but I just don't fit in. Anyway, I've always admired your work, and I think it's so great and important. Love this person. That's awesome. That's a great question. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, Well, gosh, I'd I'd like to know
2: uh, the answer to that, too, because I'm also not good at running longer work.
0: Um, I think you're such a master of short work that I... You're welcome. Okay. Yeah. So, so you just finished a longer piece? I'm working on a longer piece. I, well, I I put out this book, Kyle and Dr. Laura, a couple of years ago. That was 300 pages. But it was, I guess, maybe I'm qualified to answer this. Because it was after making short comics and diary comics for like 10 or 15 years. Mm-hmm. You know. And this person's definitely at that place. But it just, I, ju- I don't know. I mean, you you've done longer stories before, yes? Like,
2: yeah, but they're really hard for me. Uh, I'm not the. I did a long kids comic mm-hmm. called Pika Planet Flights, but it was miserable working on it.
0: That I mean, uh, that's, that's how I feel about it. But then I just do it.
2: Yeah, you, you just push
0: through. I kind of. I I mean, this is like a separate. I guess this is a separate topic from her question, but I. I didn't realize that you had taken a break from drawing mm-hmm. after that book and I got really excited by that idea because I th- I think about your work as seeming very loose and free like I'm like she seems so free um oh. yeah and I but and I feel like drawing graphic novels is a slog and is not like it's not joyful I mean there's something about it that feels yeah. a compulsion and is meditative and since I do autobiographical work it's like therapy like I'm like working through these memories in the longest form possible but it's not fun no awful <laughs> it's years and then when I tell people it's awful they're like well maybe you need a different job and I'm like what are you talking about this is my job <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
2: yeah yeah, exactly
0: so but so, I, I got the I got you, oh go ahead oh how do you feel like does it feel different
2: because for me working on a long thing Working on a short thing, I can get stoked enough about it to kind of, like, the adrenaline pushes me all the way through the, like, eight or ten pages, mm-hmm. um, but then I start kind of losing my way with the longer work. So, so even with the BDSM story, um, which was only 32 pages, it's very short, uh, the second half was really a struggle to kind of, like, retain that energy and kind of, like, be focused on, you know, the, the artwork started feeling dead, and I, I, I started to feel more like I was kind of just, like, phoning it in, um, mm. and that happens every time I try to do something longer, so is that, do you feel similarly, like, that with shorter stuff, you're able to have, kind of retain a more positive energy than with the longer stuff?
0: Hmm, I don't know, you know, the, the part for me that feels dead, I don't know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, I don't know, I haven't done something short for so long. And the last times that I've made short things were for anthologies that I had over-committed myself to. Right. So the feeling of finishing those feels stressful for me in my head. Um, right, right, right. I, I think with anything with comics, I have to find one thing I like and look forward to that. So it's like, I fucking hate drawing this crowd scene, but I'm really excited about how, like, this person's curly hair looks, or, yeah. uh, I don't know. I mean, there's definitely like, like right now, like in the book I'm working on. Something I've been doing is inking it um, non-linearly. So, like inking a page from the last chapter today, inking a page from like the second chapter tomorrow, like that, so that you're not going to. picking your favorite pages. I was picking my favorite pages. But I'm in the final month of working on it right now, and unfortunately, I've left all the hard pages for the end, so right now, I'm all, like, crowd scenes. Right, right, right. Crowd scenes, like, cities.
2: (laughs) Cindy, kind of, are you feeling so stoked about being close to being done that it feels uh, you're getting re-energized, or are you just totally exhausted?
0: Both. I feel like I've gotten into a good groove where I almost need to do it every day or else I feel stressed out. Um, but also, it's a little stressful because I, I know this feeling of being close to the finish line, but the finish line is false because there's always edits or there's always mm-hmm. more to do. Yeah. So, uh, and then also uh, people I know, like... Comics in gross. Yeah, well, like, yeah, you know, like, you, like, turn your book in and then there's, like, a... It's, like, make... It's, like, a to-do list of 20,000 things. No. And you ha- yeah,
2: it's totally soul crushing.
0: You have like ten thousand of those things done, but there's so you're like, that's great, but then there's still ten thousand more to do. Okay. Mm-hmm. But so I was so I was gonna say like I was having to do all these pages from when I was in high school and I just got so tired of drawing myself as a teenager because I don't think I was particularly uh-huh. wise or that cool, but I definitely thought I was. So spending time uh-huh. with that person is not that enjoyable to me. And having to do it, I was just I just get to a point with uh, Almost any comic I've done where at some point I'm like, who cares? Who cares? Like, here's the story. Once I was sad, now I'm not. The end. Like, I just, I get, I get over it. Does that feel free or just, like, super depressing? It feels depressing, but then yeah. when I zoom out a little bit and look at the work as a whole, I'm like, I guess it's saying things I want to say in the world, and it's the reason why I'm here. So I guess that's fine. That's good. Okay. Yeah. As long
2: as, as long as I'm in the end. I feel like after some time has gone by then I get to I get to forget about the misery of the misery of making the thing.
0: It's a little bit like childbirth. Um, <laughs> have you had kids? No. But it's like that thing where people are like, you know, like their labor was so awful but then
2: oh, nature yeah, makes them forget. Like blank it out. Yeah. So yeah.
0: then they're like, I'm gonna do it again.
2: Yeah, I've heard about this. Yeah, I, I my my main solution is to just not do anything that's long enough for me to get bored of doing it, which is very cowardly. Uh, I feel like um, I'm doing it for cowardly reasons, uh, but it's kind of where I've ended up.
0: But what, Will you tell me how you ended up there? Like, so after you finished that book, and you were like, you were what? Well, where were you at? Um, was um, like right before you took your break.
2: Where was I at, like creativ- uh, yeah. creatively? Or? Yeah, like mentally, creatively. Well, I guess I, I graduated from college, and I got this book deal. Uh, it was right like right during the manga boom, so people were getting a lot of book deals. And I was too young and dumb to realize that the amount of money I was getting paid was not actually enough money to last me for the amount of time that it would take me to make the book. So it was just kind of stress city all around. I was working in a very like dry, uh, sort of um, clean line, sort of clean, non-intuitive style. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there was a lot of time pressure and a lot of stress. Um, So when I finished with that book, I just decided that it's like, well, I guess I'm gonna quit doing comics in the way that I'd have been imagining doing them, which was, you know, trying to actually make a go for it as, as a way to make money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I just sort of promised myself not to do any artwork. It wasn't fun. Um, and wasn't for myself. Um, so I didn't. I got a job at a co-op, and uh, I, you know, backed out of my two-book contract. I said I'm only going to do one book, which was, like, super bad to do, but I I did it. Uh, and and I just started doing stuff that was fun. You know, I joined a, I started a puppetry club, and I did a lot of graffiti, and, you know, just did a lot of sketchbooking and stuff. That's so um, cool. Yeah, it was super cool, and, it, you know, I, I it helped me remember why I liked making art in the first place, and uh, and the, the weird sort of happy ending that came out of that is that uh, the book, that the work that I was doing just for myself was a lot better. It was better work and I was putting it online and stuff. And, uh, I started, uh, getting illustration jobs, which I hadn't ever really thought of myself as being, uh, you know, as that being an option for me to be a, a, uh, commercial illustrator, you know, editorial mm-hmm. illustrator. Um, but it worked out, and it turned out that that, in a lot of ways, is, is kind of perfect for me, because it's very te- very fast turnaround, there's not enough time for me to get bored, I don't have to commit to a style long-term, uh, and it doesn't detract from my uh, personal work, which is comics. Uh, so even now, like whenever I've tried doing comics for money, it's always felt kind of weird, and I've never been super happy with the result. I tend to have to kind of, like, force force it a little bit more, and then then it doesn't feel quite right. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas with illustration, like, it doesn't, you know, I mean, it doesn't super matter if the illustrations are good or not, as long as the client's happy with them. And, <laughs> you know, there's always next time to, to, to to you know, push myself in one way or another. Whereas with, when I make a bad comic, I feel really lousy about it.
0: What do um, you, yeah. what what do you feel like your ideal is that you're, you know, like when you're like, this is bad, or this isn't the thing I wanted, like, what is the thing that you want?
2: Um, something that's honest,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, is really important when I'm the most unhappy with my stuff, it tends to feel, uh, you know, forced, uh, like I was saying, um, like I'm trying to imitate somebody else's voice, or I'm trying to like, um. I'm trying to, what, like, show off in some way or something, like, pretend to be somebody I'm not. Mhm. Uh, so that that always makes me feel really sick when, when that that when my work, when my comics or when my illustrations kind of have that feel to them. Um, like I don't know. Yeah. Scary. <laughs> something to try to avoid. Yeah. Fakey. I don't like stuff that's fakey. I, I kind of, like
0: dishonest work. sometimes I think, well, I feel like something's dishonest. Sometimes I'll, I'll accidentally, cause I'm getting tired or I'm not that into it. I'll write in something that's a total cliche or it's like the, mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe it. Like, it's not like, it's a cliche or it's just like an easy way of saying, you know, like, and yeah. that's how that was. And so that kind of thing, when I look back, I'm like, Oh God, like who wrote, why did you write this? Who wrote this? Like who took control of the, yeah. The keys, and so yeah, then I'll yeah, yeah. I'll try to think like what really happened, like what is like the weird thing that you're trying not to say here.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. And I feel like uh, uh, that's you were saying you also do a lot of journaling. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's something I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of making art is just kind of like. You know, kind of, for me, at least, digging down and saying, well, what what is it that I'm thinking right now? What is it that I'm meaning? What is it that, that's behind all this stuff? Uh, so the bad art often seems kind of surfacey. Yeah. Uh, you know, being a mask in some way, trying to shield myself or put on airs. Uh, yeah. Rather than, rather than getting down to the, to the real stuff.
0: To the nitty-gritty.
2: To the nitty-gritty.
0: Would you say that honesty is the mission statement behind your work?
2: Um,
0: or do you have, like, a, a thing you're trying to get across or that you come back to or think of as you go?
2: Yeah, I guess I'd say, I mean, truth generally seems like a relatively good goal to have uh, when making artwork you know, the pursuit of truth, mm-hmm.
0: uh,
2: to put it in a, in a corny way. Um, and and on, uh, often I feel like in, in the pursuit of truth, like the best we can do is be personally honest. Like that's the closest we can come. Uh, you know, you got to start small, I think i would yeah. got to start small at least. So you start, like, like, working on what it is inside you that's true. And then mm-hmm. see if you can kind of spread out from there.
0: Yeah. I, I have this thing where I, you know, when I'm, I'm trying to balance between when I'm writing about the past or myself as a younger person, balancing out the truth I know now or, like, my lens now as someone who's, like, been to therapy – and can see what I was doing versus writing from the experience of being a young person. Mm -hmm. Um, That's interesting.
2: Do you try to, do you try to avoid writing with that, the sort of the, your, your current mature lens, or
0: is that something that you, that you try to bring to your work? I don't know. I think it's a delicate balance of like not seeming, not being too judgmental of, Not as the narrator, not being as judgmental of myself as, like, a teenager or something as I actually feel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you just went on this really, really long bike trip. Mm Mm-hmm. How long? Was your bike trip a month long? Two months long?
2: It was two, almost two months long. That's
0: crazy.
2: Yeah, it was really fun.
0: Did that count as a break? Yes.
2: I think it did because I I definitely was pooped out of working before I went on it and I came back and I've been feeling really good about working. Um, It's funny that it counted as a break because I actually was drawing a lot while I was bicycling.
0: I saw Um, your drawings. They were so great.
2: Thank you very much. Yeah, I had a really good time time doing them.
0: Um, Very inspired. It was weird to read them as – because you were updating them. Pretty close to the time when things were happening, mm-hmm. and I was like following. I was like, "Oh my god!" I was like, "Oh well, it's over. It's over. Her knees are shot. It's done. She's coming <laughs> home." And then a week later, I look at Carly like, "Oh, she got a second wind. Her knees are back on track." I know.
2: Yeah, it was very much like a. Uh, it was a weird. It was a weird trip, and having having made the choice, I decided to. to draw those journal comics and post them up personally because I was so scared about taking that much time off of work. I was, you know, scared that art directors would just cross me off of their their call list. You mm-hmm. know? Um, so I had, you know, I had a out-of-office reply that was like, I can't work for you right now, but, 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 but look, I'm posting stuff on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I'm posting stuff on Twitter. Don't give up on me. Don't forget about me, please. And but what I didn't really, well, I thought about it a little bit, but, but uh, you know, it was a commitment. I committed to doing this trip, and it made it harder to, to make the decision of whether to, you know, it was an, an extra thing to have to think about um, when I was trying to decide how far I could actually go. Uh, thinking like, oh, God, I would be so embarrassed if I only, you know, if I only go a quarter of the way or if I only go for two weeks.
0: Did you use... Okay, so I was... I listened to part of your interview with the Baby Geniuses podcast, and you were talking about peeing standing up. Did you uh-huh. use a peeing apparatus on your trip?
2: Absolutely! What did you I use? I do not know... I don't... I use... I, the one that I have is a Freelax. Freelax? Uh, Relax brand. Um, and it's fine. It's, it's pretty standard. It looks kind of like a shoehorn. Mm-hmm. Uh... And I don't know, I literally don't know if I could have done the trip if I didn't have it because I was going through the Southwest and uh, just huge, huge, huge expanses of, of road that were just desert on either side with nothing to, you know, no place to like kind of crouch mm-hmm. uh, to hide away um, and plenty of traffic. And I could just, you know, I could just stand up against the cactus or something and pee and it wasn't awesome, you know, to tease whole so cards were going by, mm-hmm. uh, standing up, but it was a lot more awesome than if I had to, like, pull my, my pants down Yeah. and the cards would be, like, looking at my butt. Yeah. Um, I don't, I think that if, if I hadn't had the pee style, I would have been hesitant to drink as much water as I needed to, to stay healthy and hydrated. Yeah. Um, so I credit, I credit the pee style that... Uh, with um, my bodily health, hydration on my trip.
0: That's so cool. I don't know why there's something that seems so queer about that item existing. It's because it's
2: fucking hot, and like, and I feel a little weird about. I feel a little bit weird about how much to me it's like a convenience, but also kind of a sex thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like not like. Not that I've... I'm not even into pee, but, like, I feel really good using it. I feel, like, hot standing up to pee. It makes
0: me feel super cool. Well, I... Okay, Um, in my... when I was in my K-hole this morning, Googling, do you... I read in an interview that you identify as Butch. Is that true? Yeah. Well, then that... Is that, is that weird to say? No. It's, I think that I'm only used to hearing that from straight up and down lesbians, so that's why I was surprised. And I was like, cool. But that peeing thing seems so in line with that, to me. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel
2: like if I was a different... Yeah, I don't know. Sexuality and, like, gender identity is so weird. I, you know, I spent most of my life feeling like I was a woman, but I was doing it wrong yeah somehow you know and it's been really nice to kind of figure out in the last you know three or four years or whatever to that like I can both identify as a woman and not be interested in the sort of traditionally normative uh feminine stuff yeah um I don't know, but I, I, uh, much to my chagrin, that's another reason why I was so pissed about not, I was really hoping to kind of, like, strengthen up and bulk out on my bike trip, because I I would, that would make me very happy. Uh, I'm really, really tall, Mm -hmm. but I'm not actually a very, like, tough, skinny person, unfortunately.
0: Um, Well, this is a uh, pro-butch podcast, so... Your, I, your your gender I, expression I just, I just is welcome my, here. My friends when 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 my when I tell my friends it's like, Oh no, I, I think of myself as being more pushed, they laugh at me. Oh. No, I th- I'm like, oh I'm like, oh that totally makes sense. Oh I get that. And also it makes sense that you would like come back from your bike trip and be like super buff and then be like, I'm gonna go pee standing up, excuse me.
2: <laughs> I know. I love it. It makes me so happy. Thank you. I feel very validated.
0: You're welcome. No, we really um <laughs> I actually oh I have a um I have a zine I should send you that somebody did. It's called Butch Is Not a Dirty Word. Um it's from Australia. But it's all portraits of butch women and women with different genders. Yeah, I'll send that it to you. I'm very happy. Because I haven't I have an extra copy. But um yeah, we all actually it's 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 interesting. Butchness has like gone through different waves, at least, you know, specifically in the queer community. Um, it's gone through different waves of acceptability or non-acceptability, and now I think it's in a weird place um, with trans issues. And Anyway. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get in over my head.
2: It, oh, right, right, right. Yeah, I always feel... I feel weird of... I don't know, and it's weird, because I am... I'm, I basically... ID be as being straight. I've been with, you know, in a monogamous relationship with a cis guy for god like 14 years or something um and that's it but I, you know I don't know but I still don't fit in with what a woman is supposed to be like uh which has caused me a huge amount of anguish (laughs) throughout my life so it's a it's an odd um you know well, it seems uh, harder
0: to have not a complicated it all position. It seems harder to have a complicated gender in that, or to have the acceptance of having a complicated gender in that scenario.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's not. What, I mean. It, or, not exactly. Because I mean, I, I'm in a tremendous position of privilege just mm-hmm. by being, you know, married and straight and uh, cis and stuff. Uh, but. It, it is kind of confusing because the, the other straight, you know, cis people don't feel like I'm performing correctly. You know, they say, oh, you should wear you should wear more dresses. It's so sad that you have such bad self-esteem. It's like, oh, oh. <laughs> ouch. And whereas, like, the queer folks I know are like, oh, you're queer. And I'm like, well, I that's nice of you to say, but also it feels weird for me to, like, to 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 say that about myself while still getting all these like, you know, cishet head privileges. Yeah. Blah 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 blah. So very very confusing. Yeah. Or guess... you know other queer folks who are like don't don't you know, you're it's not cool for straight women to uh it feels appropriative for straight women to like uh, have a queer haircut or whatever. Oh. Um, and it's like, well, that hurts.
0: <laughs> that hurts me in my heart. I guess I was thinking it seemed like it would be hard for you because I just feel like it's one of those things, like, you can't be what you can't see. And if you don't see, you know, if, if it, it's, it's, it seems harder to find, like, role models that are largely straight butch women. I guess unless you're in the Midwest or something. (laughs) Like if my mom was at a lesbian bar right now, you would just think that she was a lesbian because she has like a short, like short mom hair. Right, right, right. Yeah.
2: No, yeah, for real. Um, And it's it's hard to know exactly who I'm doing it for because it's not like my husband is, (laughs) you know, I think he would prefer me to be more femme. Like not, that makes him sound like an asshole. Uh, he's so, not, he, I think that his, what he's attractive, attracted to tends to be more feminine women. Um, so it's just something, you know, it's just kind of purely for myself, which feels good, well, but also weird.
0: So how did you get to that place of acceptance where you were like, oh, like instead of like fighting this thing or being like, I'm just not doing femininity right, that you were like, oh, it's cause that's not me. Like, how did you get to that place? Because you said it was three or four years ago. Yeah, well,
2: uh, it was—it was complicated. I mean, it, part of it was kind of, kind of well, you know, I—I I, this is very personal, probably TMI, but um, I have been with my husband, my partner. Uh, Drew Wine, is also a cartoonist, uh, we've been together for 14 years. I was 19, and he was 24 when we got together. And uh, when you're that young, um, maybe it's not even a, a matter of age, but we definitely kind of grew up together, yeah. and we really changed one another. And, you know, our relationship was pretty codependent there for a while. Uh, And we kind of just assumed that you would change for your partner in a kind of a radical way. Uh, and he did it just as much as I did. We both kind of like chose to give a lot of stuff up for the other person. You know, he stopped playing video games because I wasn't into video games. Uh, and I stopped like bicycling as much because he wasn't into bicycling. And our lives got really small you know, he did the thing where he grew a beard because I like beards and I grew my hair out because he liked long hair and then our our relationship just kind of started to change and morph and, uh, and it got kind of rocky there for a while, uh, until kind of part of us working out what it was going to look like to stay together, um, was being like, well, you know, if we're going to stay together for the long haul, uh, we got to start being being ourselves a little bit more, mm-hmm. uh, and that was a lot of different things. You know, that was was going on bike trips, and the type of art that I made, the type of food food that we eat, the hours that we keep, uh, the friends that we have. It um, was also stuff like gender expression.
0: I think that that's it's so. I think it's so valuable to hear about long-term relationships and marriages going through different phases? You know, like different ebbs, different flows, and then seeing how people weathered it and worked it out in a healthy way. Yeah, well, I
2: hope it's, you know, uh, I hope it can be helpful for folks. One of the things that was particularly hard for, for me and my husband, I think, when we were having a little bit of hard times, was that people don't really talk about the hard times uh, so much. People tend to be kind of private. And uh, so we really thought that we were alone and, like, fucking up. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, But as soon as I started to talk to anybody who had been together for a very long time, I started to realize that everybody's relationships are very weird. (laughs) And not... None of them just were simple and healthy and nothing but positives all across the board all the time
0: when you are doing a story so i i personally go by the stephen king kind of idea of write with the door closed edit with the door open so i'll just like write and write and write and get out whatever the thing is i was trying to get out let it rest and then go back to it for editing but what is your process like for that for writing and editing
2: I probably should do a little bit more. I, I think I'd probably start editing a little early on. Um, I, I think I should have a longer period of just like barfing. Mm-hmm. Um, barfing stuff onto the page. But it's uh, hard to you know, it's hard to edit with comics. Um, comics especially. So so kind of sometimes editing it as, as you go seems Better. So my editing process is, and I'd like to change this, I'd like to have it be a little bit more intuitive. It's very, very drawn out and uh, I lean a lot on, on Drew my husband. Uh, we both edit each other's work uh, kind of exhaustively. Um, so it usually is, you know, I do a draft and then I show it to Drew. And then he makes all kinds of suggestions, and I do another draft, and then that goes on for, like, ten drafts, <laughs> and by the end of it, he's like, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't even know what this story's about anymore, I can't even, it doesn't mean anything to me anymore, and I say, I know, me, me neither, it just sounds like nonsense words on the page, mm-hmm. it just looks like squiggles, uh, so that's, and then, you know, finally, it's just like, okay, fine. This is, this is how it's going to be and then I go to final. Um, lots of lots of cutting cutting scraps of paper apart and taking them back together with tape and gluing things on here and there and uh, it gets really frank and shiny.
0: Do you use watercolor when you're coloring your things?
2: Uh, some of them are watercolor. Uh, some of them are computer colored. Hmm. Some of them uh, I have a comic coming out for retrofit in this color pencil.
0: Cool. Yeah. It seems so nice to have an editor living in your house, who's it is great. Who's like opinion you really respect?
2: Yes, I super highly recommend it. Uh, it's really nice to have an editor that I can fight with, um, and vice versa.
0: I like um, that a lot
2: because it's really personal. Editing stuff hurts, and it's hard and it's scary. It is, and I
0: I think that editing is something that's missing from a lot of comics, so I like hearing different people's editing processes, because I think people get a little bit precious about comics, so then they don't want to, like, give too many edits or suggestions. Well,
2: it's really hard, unless you're doing, you kind of have two options, three options. One is that you have a script with no images, which you can edit. That's pretty easy to edit. Too is that, but also like writing, drawing comics, from a script is kind of hard. It's a visual medium, so figuring all that stuff out before you even have the images down is uh, kind of a tall order. Uh, another option is editing heavily in the thumbnail stage, but that's really hard because it's really, really, really a pain in the ass reading somebody else's thumbnails. Yeah, you know, uh, it's a huge headache, and often it's hard to tell what the heck is going on. And then the last option is editing the final work, and by the time you're at the final work, it's, like, so time-consuming to draw the comics that it's, like, you're not going to be able to be honest about what needs to be done, <laughs> you know? Um, so you're kind of fucked, I guess. It's
0: yeah. Editing comics is fucked. Wait, what is your sign?
2: What, what is your uh,
0: astrological cancer? sign? Cancer?
2: Oh, my sign. Uh, Capricorn, Capricorn.
0: Oh, you're a Capricorn?
2: hmm Oh, my God. Well, well that's nice. This I, I appreciate that. Sagitt- Usually people say, oh, of course. Well, I,
0: Sagittarian Matters is a safe space for both Butch people and Capricorns, so you're really in the right place. Um, I have a Capricorn moon and rising, so I feel a great affinity with Capricorns. Oh, that's nice. I feel, I feel like they're very hardworking. Oh, that's good. I, the main
2: thing that I think makes people think that I'm like a Capricorn is that I don't know anything about astrology. Mm. I don't have any truck with astrology, and they say just like a Capricorn.
0: <laughs> I don't know if a that Capricorn
2: seems, would say
0: that. It does seem like a Capricorn would say that, but I don't know why. The <laughs> only person who's ever said that to me before was a Virgo. After I guessed that he was a Virgo, he was like, "Oh no!" He was like, he, I, "Yeah," he was like, "I don't believe in astrology," and I was like, "What are you like a Virgo?" And he was like, "No." <laughs> anyway. Well, thank you for talking to me for the podcast.
2: Thank you so much for talking to me. I'm so honored to have been
0: on. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.